Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your week in sports cars show. You know who this is brought by? Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets, USA and internationally, but really it's USA and Speedway, Indiana, and the editor of DailySportsCar.com. He, who celebrated a birthday just days ago, happy 90th to Graham Goodwin. <laughs> uh, if I was that young. Um, yeah, thank you very much indeed. And uh, thanks to all you out there that uh, passed on those birthday wishes. Somehow, in this kind of rather isolated world we've got at the moment, they do mean little more than usual. Just getting dark here in the UK. Still in lockdown, of course. So still at the office at the bottom of the garden as I watch my lovely wife cooking dinner. Uh, just emerging from uh, a bit of a power cut, which seems to have been, uh, well, as always, imposed by some kind of failure on the domestic appliance front, which is, of course, what, what happens when you actually can't get a repairman out as normal. Uh, but hopefully you're not going to hear a pop and a bang and a scream and uh, things will go quiet at one end of the Atl- one side of the Atlantic and we can get on and answer, so I have to say, increasingly impressed by an astonishing number of questions again uh, this week. Unsurprisingly, MP, heavy on the Herr General and heavy on the fun. Um, are we going to start with maybe Herr General this week? That's entirely your call. I, I am saddened. It's my job, isn't it? I it is. Getting... It's, it's your decision. I am saddened, though, to hear that there's been a mega jewel cut in the Goodwin house with your uh, your electricity there. But OK. That's uh, right. The hybrid's gone. Um, we... the, you know, boost's gone. And we're just coasting along with just 740 horsepower. Oh, and before we get rolling in, Hegeneral, as you, I think, have called it, should also say our condolences to the late Bob Lazier, who passed since we last recorded a man who won back-to-back Rolex 24 at Daytona's 1987, 1988 highball racing Mazda RX-7 in the GTU class, as I forgot to hit the mute on my little sound system here. Uh, Bob won on his debut, won the second year. In the third year, they had a gearbox problem had to change the gearbox mid-race, ended up finishing third, a man who on top of being the Car- IndyCar Series Rookie of the Year in 1981, unblemished in his three appearances at Daytona for the 24 Hours Graham, three podium visits, two from the top step. So we will certainly miss the delightfully warm and loving and caring Bob Lazier, whose son's also made quite a big impression in the sport. So with that set up front, I believe it is indeed time to get our general in, and we're going to kick off with a question that, uh, okay, Uh, this comes from Tom Firth. It's probably more a question for Graham than MP. I love that. I love whatever that went into that, Tom, because I don't know if you could be more wrong. Sorry, it's not the most structured question, too. When is it appropriate and not insensitive for the sport to restart in light of world events? Looking back at the last time motorsport had a lengthy hiatus, says, does motorsport wait for other pro sports before we go back to work, or do we go out on our own? I'm also curious what your opinions are on the communications within the sports world, motorsports world in particular, about potentially restarting. 
is the current strategy of a series uh, of arbitrary dates in the future the right approach? A big one to open on, Graham. Uh, huge, and actually uh, quite timely, uh, I will admit to having had a bit of a rant this morning uh, at a couple of people around a story doing the rounds today, uh, gathered by, well, frankly, uh, a motorsport publishing organisation that are big enough to have known, uh, known better and different, talking about uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours and, you know, uh, quoting fairly liberally uh, the ACO president, Pierre Fion, you know, if we can't go racing in September, we might go in October, we might go in November, we might do it with or without uh, the public present. Here's the here's the news, guys. It sounds like a All Dr. Seuss book, by the way, yeah, with yeah, a hat, yeah. with a cat, with a mat. Well, well, I think there's two things to say here. Three things, in fact, to say here about that specific story, but as a microcosm of the, of the situation we're now in. The first thing is, let's not forget for a moment what it is that Pierre Fion does for a living. He's a doctor, okay? He's not a thalamic surgeon, but he's a doctor. So he's going to be particularly attuned right now to the... Not the nuances, the realities of what we're getting into here. Number two is I caution everybody here about the validity in extremists, but beyond that, the value that you should apply to stories that overly feature the words could and might right now. Thirdly, here's the news, guys, whether or not it's Pierre Fion, who have them... Uh, Utmost respect for Stefan Rattel, Gerard Naveau, over your side, Jim France, uh, John Doonan. For that matter, um, anybody involved in Formula One, and including uh, the head of the FIA, Jean Top, we don't know. And we'll know when we're told we're ca we can, because this is not a situation we are in control of at the moment. It's not a situation, to be blunt, that very many people seem to be in control of at the moment. And the extreme measures were all... Uh, having imposed upon us right now are for the preservation of life. Uh, I'm not at all amused that that story in particular focused on uh, Pierre Fion. It's clearly because the uh, Le Mans 24 hours is a big ticket item, but it, it's had ripple effects in terms of the way that people have responded to a variety of organisations, including the ACO, the WEC, travel providers, uh, or the teams, drivers, etc. And here's the, here's the point. It doesn't take the story on or the debate on one single iota, not one. The, the, the reality is every single organisation, not just in racing, but across the world at the moment, are developing a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and then waiting to find out what happens next. It does require patience. Yes, some of the asshattery that's going on in politics at the moment, you know, it's a massive distraction. It does uh, breed both discontent, misunderstanding and argument rather than debate. But here's, I think we've just got to basically bed in here right now, listen to the, uh, the, the words that are being spoken. We've got some pretty clear direction on what it is that the major motorsport organisations would like to be able to do, but it is going to come down to what they are permitted to do and beyond that, what it's deemed sensible to do. And I think that is a set of goalposts, MP, that is moving very rapidly uh, in and out of focus as days go by. But please, please, right now, by all means, read those stories. When we're told, you know, insert name of championship, uh, are planning to race on this date. We're, you know, we're all grown-ups here. 
the reality is we all know that some of those plans are unlikely to see uh, to, to reach fruition for a variety of reasons. And that's before we get to the stage where the absolutely inevitable second and potentially, potentially third wave of this evil bloody virus uh, begins to hit and the real world consequences of that impact on you, me, our families, our friends, our neighbours, the populations around us and beyond that government level uh, consciousness. Be patient. You know, there are no answers to these questions that you can't find out by watching and listening to, I know, all around the world, uh, governments and for the variety of qualities attached to them at the moment, um, trying to make as clear as they can what their plans are, what their strategies are, and how that is progressing on a day-to-day basis. That's what you should be listening to. Don't be listening or, or reading that kind of absolute clickbait tripe couple things here specifically on the leader follow question raised by Tom. This is a case where using the primary example in the world right now, it's being brought to us by the American state of Texas in the American racing series of NASCAR. There's no other series that is in the midst of such an advanced planning effort to go back to racing at an indeterminate date, but we rightfully assume soon. The governor, the man in charge of the state of Texas, said that he wants NASCAR racing to return and resume in Texas. It does that at a venue called Texas Motor Speedway. It's also a venue where, on a separate date, IndyCar happens to hold a race. The discussions I've heard of taking place behind the scenes would be an IndyCar and NASCAR doubleheader at Texas, potentially one-day events for both, where this is interesting. It does not follow another sport, a bigger sport to use as a shield. This is what happened with many racing series once the coronavirus became pandemic level, major, whatever it would be, could be soccer slash football, could be basketball. Those series canceled, postponed, whatever events, shut down their seasons. The majority of racing series followed suit afterwards, again, using that as their shield for justification at least for what I am reading right now, it appears motor racing could be somewhere towards the leading edge of trying to get back to work through this NASCAR Texas, Texas Motor Speedway thing, Graham. And this has raised an entirely different question. And it's not on the when is the right time to go back to racing question so much, although that is part of it. It is, what is the responsibility of the racing series that have been given permission to go back to racing? That is the main item running through my mind here. So the governor of Texas, who, to my knowledge, does not possess information, data, studies, anything 
related to this virus that would be different or superior to anything that we've heard from our leaders on a national level, again, globally, would suggest that the governor is motivated in the commerce side of what holding a race could do soon, rather than looking at the science, which the heads of whichever disease control agencies in your respective country seem to be saying in fairly consistent terms. It's not over. It's not going to be over for a while. We're not able to test enough people. The strain on the healthcare system the COVID-19 virus is providing is extreme. We have insufficient amounts of seemingly everything uh, on a healthcare level, whether it's masks or ventilators, etc. We've yet to hear anything, f- to my knowledge, from major government agencies around the world saying, signs are in the next two to three weeks, let's all get back together. We'll still do some of that social distancing, but we should be fine. I've not heard that from anyone in a position of knowledge. What I have heard, and we have read, is folks like this governor, and there could be others, so I'm not intentionally singling out the governor of Texas. He just happens to be the first one. It could be the governor of any U.S. state, could be the mayor of whichever region uh, throughout the world. Who cares? Could be a president, could be a whatever. The desire to go back to racing is one thing. Giving series the green light has, has happened in the state of Texas is another thing. The real issue here, Graham, the real question is what responsibility do those series bear in this situation? And that's what I want to pass back to you here. So NASCAR has been given the green light to go racing at Texas Motor Speedway. We believe IndyCar will be part of that as well. Do they use the shield of the governor what he said we could go well i'm sorry that folks got sick i'm sorry if any bad things happen a massive crash some sort of really negative thing that leads the country or whatever state or whatever you're in to say what are those idiots doing they should be home helping to reduce this pandemic But here they are playing, even in front of an empty house, which has been the decree for Texas. No fans, but we can put hundreds of people on pit lane. What is the responsibility for those series? Is it, well, thank you, governor, or whomever you happen to be, chancellor, saying that we can do this, but your permission to do this does not outweigh what science and national leaders are telling us from a scientific basis or hey we got the green light they said we could so we did i'll just before handing this to you graham say the thing that i fear right now and from what i'm hearing from this somewhat leading situation that's going on in this topic with texas motor speedway nascar and what i believe to be indycar as well on a double header is airing towards the latter. Well, the governor said we could. We'll put in our best decontamination practices, but, hey, uh, life is risky. You said we could, so we're going to. That's where we seem to be leaning there. 
I just seriously question where the responsibility lies. Well, we know enough at the moment about the vagaries of politics that whatever perceived backing, if we can call it that, armour, shield, um, that you've got can disappear very quickly, can't it? And then where does it leave you? For me, um, I get it. I get the impatience on a commerce and business level when it's your... Uh, livelihood that's up for grabs and let's face it it's my livelihood up for grabs it's your livelihood up for grabs at the moment mp as well Uh, but i don't want to be part of something that is putting people directly at risk i don't want to be part of a drive that is putting people who are there in paid employment being told we're there you must be there we know it's riskier i don't want that you know it by the way my understanding is there's there's a not dissimilar plan uh, in train for Formula One, where the moment the outside the outline plan appears to be potentially back to back behind closed doors races at Red Bull Ring and Silverstone uh, during the the early summer months appears to be their recovery plan. But again, that absolutely follows exactly the premise that you're talking about. It's what they may have negotiated as being possible, rather than what they're being advised is advisable. And again, driven a little more by commerce. And we we live in an era, don't we, where motor racing has more enemies than friends right now in policy terms. Mm. There are lots more reasons being fielded why we shouldn't have the freedom to do the things that we adore than reasons why we should. And... There are lots of people out there in terms of public policy looking for uh, opportunities to point fingers, to blame, to tax, for that matter, more than they currently do. And you can be re- assured of this. When we get through this with the damage that's being done to global economies, you can be sure as hell there's going to be a hell of a tax bill to pay by most of us moving forward. I just I don't I don't even know where that thought process comes from to be honest with you maybe it's just me maybe it's just my manner of thinking but look i want to go back and go to my place of work which other than the the little office i'm standing in right now is at racetracks all around the world but i have to tell you i'm not very keen at the moment on stepping on a plane i'm not very keen at the moment of you know going into a crowded press room or to into multiple garages with multiple people from multiple um countries from around the world that that's not something at the moment that is making me feel particularly secure and no i'm i'm, I'm not a fan of that i'm afraid mp um, I'm certainly not a fan of the the idiocy we're seeing in a number of countries with, frankly, people who, sh- who are old enough to know better um, <sighs> seeming to protest that they're, they're right not to be told or, for that matter, asked what to do um, is more important than looking after their neighbours, their friends, their families and those people that are going to be there to look after them once their idiocy catches up with them. Not a fan. Don't want our sport to be part of the vanguard of idiocy, to be honest with you. Two other very quick items to close here, Graham. One is this. My frustration with this topic is professional, not personal. 
I won't be going to any motor races as long as the coronavirus is active. It's simply not an option. I cannot get sick. I have a woman to take care of every day. And even as she, say, improves to the point of needing minimal help, if not zero help from me on a daily basis, I still cannot get sick out of the concern of getting her sick and her weakened immune uh, immune system. It's not an option. So now, granted, this is no different than what I do today or have done since we started chemotherapy. But this I look at and say, I live with the risks. And this, again, not I, we, but just since I'm the one talking with my little flappy mouth thing here, I live with, we live with those concerns every day. Standard flu, forget the coronavirus, standard illness, chest cold, similar, has the potential of being fatal. So, cannot insert myself in situations where I might track that home. What concerns me is, hey, we need to get back to racing. Okay, what is the mechanism by doing that that somehow enriches everyone? Do sponsors pay money when you go do some races, knowing it's going to be a compromised schedule for almost everybody and everything? Do you somehow have tons of money coming in where you don't? Uh, are you able to pay folks in ways that you can't? Okay, I, again, I could see some arguments there. But what's the, the overriding concern? If I look at sports car teams and those who own them, if I look at IndyCar teams, if I look at NASCAR teams, even Formula One, there are a lot of older team owners who, by the numbers we've seen, Graham, would fall into some of the most at-risk categories, age-wise. Boy, if you're this age or above and you happen to get COVID-19, it might be closer to a death sentence than you really want it to be. That's what a lot of the folks who own the teams, own the series, run the series. Uh, granted, there's tons of youth in the cars, but we all know that racing, at least for what it is right now, a lot of advanced age, older veteran type folks. And so you're going to go congregate at whatever track, wherever in the world, in large clusters, you can say you're going to social distance. We know that's not really practical on pit lane, behind the garage, in the paddock, using the restroom, etc. You're not going to maintain some veil of decontamination. And so that's the thing that concerns me. Hey, valuable team owner A and B and C are ill from the coronavirus because they decided to go back to racing before science said it made sense but out of a business concern cool well if dying or putting your life at risk for your business is what makes sense then that's your choice i guess if you're allowed to do it i don't quite understand it and i realize there's the argument well racing's dangerous i'm not talking about that i'm talking about sitting on a timing stand (laughs) and possibly having someone infected uh, 
nearby could end your life. That's a little bit too much. Um, the other thing here to mention as well, which is the thing that I'm still just grasping with, is we have a situation, Graham, where things have already been heavily disrupted. We know that there's been a lot of wreckage, too much wreckage already. Is going back to racing in two weeks, one month, six months, is that going to drastically change something? I don't know. I just know that I think of this, and I think of a lot of the folks who are a bit older, who are involved in the sport, who would be really at risk if they decided to get back together again and possibly lose their lives, and then do the other thing which we're fearing. It's the uh, tracking mud back to their respective cities, states, and whatnot. Great, you congregated, someone got sick, someone who was asymptomatic went hot during the event, and guess what? You all are now tracking that back to wherever you flew from. And an entire team, a, again, a small portion of a city, who knows? It just seems so irresponsible right now. But under the guise of business and money, uh, there are some who feel that we just need to do it, need to take the chances. And for those who don't want to be there, well, then you just stay home. I get that. Uh, the, the freedom and liberty versus, I guess, moral service to one's fellow man and one's fellow woman. Not saying there's a right answer, but to each person that has an opinion, they're pretty darn sure it's the right answer. So, (sighs) frustrating, my man. I really don't want to see our sport. As you mentioned, it's the most honest take that I've heard. Racing is already under duress. For those who don't think it's responsible enough to the ecology, relevance, and so many other things, are we going to be the morons who decide, no, the heck with you, major sports. The heck with you, stick and ball leagues. We're going to get out because some regional state governor, chancellor, mayor said we could, and look what we just did. Uh, Imagine the furor of X amount of crew members. Uh, hospitalized with COVID-19 and placing further stress on a stressed healthcare system because this racing series just could not avoid everything they've been told that it's not safe to do that now. Uh, I don't know how we recover from that, my friend. But, uh, I entirely agree. Entirely agree. Should we move on? We should. To happier things. Um. Let's have a quick look where we're going to go next. Uh, here's one. Daniel Summersgill. Ooh, Any updates? Never heard of him. Yeah, Daniel Summersgill. Any updates regarding resurgence from TVR? There was talk a couple of years ago about them making a comeback when their logo has suddenly appeared on the Rebellions. No. <laughs> there we go. So. No, there you go. Uh, last I heard from TVR was uh, they'd road-registered their demonstrator, the new Griffith. That must have been... Six months ago, I've heard literally nil from Les Edgar and Co. Uh, since then. So I think they've had their struggles getting the new road car uh, product line along. Of course, current situation will not have helped any whatsoever. Uh, I cannot see there being... My recollection is their initial plan was that there was going to be uh, a one-make racer replacement for the fabled uh, TVR Tuscan Challenge car, but no sign of that at the moment. And my guess is whatever 
their plans were, if indeed they were live, they're somewhat delayed. But the answer is, don't be expecting uh, anything from TVR uh, on the motorsport front any time soon. You can expect a bit more TVR goodness on daily sports car. We've had a little bit this this week so far. There'll be a little bit more following up the story of the TVR T400R, the Tuscan R's have passed. I found out where all of them are. All of them. In your shed. And I'll be ro- I wish that were true. Um, but uh, there's an extraordinary couple of stories about those cars, uh, which we'll be bringing in the coming days and whenever I can get through my to-do, uh, to-do list. But TVR, uh, sorry, Daniel, not good news in terms of the future, but I can give you a little bit of good news to come about some of those heritage cars and where you'll be able to see those. You want to pick one from there, MP? Sure. Where else should we go? Well, I mean, we've only got one from Daniel that's popping up right in front of me, which is a surprise. We usually rely on Daniel for uh, for more, but we haven't gotten to the other categories yet, so there might be a Daniel surprise. Uh, let's see. Uh, James Counter threw in one for me here. It says, MP, how do or did you balance taking photos and being a journalist? Wordy tapping. Over a weekend, obviously you can't take photos on the far side of the track whilst being on the beat in the paddock, or can you? You have... Figured this out, James. Yeah, I have taken fewer and fewer photographs over the last couple of years than just about ever in my media career that's now, I think, 13 years or something like that. So, used to do a heck of a bunch. Now I do a heck of a little. And it's a casualty of fun. uh, Or the fun of it is a casualty to the need of putting out more words, also doing more video and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I find myself tethered more and more to the paddock than ever before, but I still try and sneak out for at least one session somewhere. And even if it's not shooting, it's just to observe and pick out some handling traits or driving observations, something to try and sprinkle in, uh, if not include in whatever I'm writing about that weekend. Because you're always going to find a corner somewhere where there's something that folks should be tuning into and paying attention to. So that's maybe the the thing that I do more of. But yeah, I got to admit, I just want to go and take photographs most of the time because it just makes me happy. <laughs> it really does. It's not as if I don't like the words and the interview part, but that's that's the me time. And yeah. 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 It's got to be said, this this multimedia world we live in is a very much tougher gig now for the likes of your good self that cover multimedia in a paddock. It's a busier, busier day, weekend, week, etc. It's not just as simple as popping out with whatever kit you've got, setting it up, getting it in the can, coming back and dropping that straight onto the internet. There's a lot uh, of other process that goes on uh, in that and having seen from not very afar uh, your workload at the Daytona 24 hours in recent years I'm in awe of it um, it's got to be said yes we do podcasting yes I do some TV and some radio uh, yes we do Delhi sports car and the odd bit of piece of, of video but not at the level that the, you're operating and it, it does make guys for a very busy uh, race event indeed for that the Mr. Privets. Let's move on. Let's uh, grab one here from Racer Spacer. Does a celebrity like Patrick Dempsey or Jackie Chan actually have it any easier than everybody else when it comes to getting sponsorships after the initial, hey, you're that guy, it's still going to be brutal, right? 
Um, I think that's. I think you've got it slightly arse about face, if you don't mind me saying so. I'm not remotely convinced that either Jackie Chan nor Patrick Dempsey puts very much of their own money into anything to do with racing. I think it's the other way round. I think it's a team, in the case of Jackie Chan DC Racing, and a brand, in the case of Porsche, that has spotted the potential value of those people being involved and in the hope that will draw more media attention, in the case of Porsche, uh, and more um, sponsorship attention in the case of Jackie Chan DC Racing. I may be wrong, there may be some uh, some money, some investment in some aspects of those teams and that effort, but I think the general transaction, I don't know what you think, MP, I know there's some different examples stateside where you have got major celebrities involved uh, with racing teams, but uh, I think in the case of the two guys name-checked there, the transaction is rather different from them going and getting sponsorship for their racing. I think they are the figurehead around which the effort is uh, is 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 formed. Our man, Mr. Dempsey, uh, McDreamy, he's a pretty interesting example here of someone who actually has had both realities. He started his own team and ran it for a while. There were people on that team in charge of finding money, finding sponsorship, selling his name. There were some sponsors that came along, but really very few that were significant uh, that they found on their own. When he was aligned with Mazda running in Grand Am's Rolex GT class, uh, it was an RX-8, and yep. Mazda worked very hard to find sponsors and did to help fund part of that. I'm sure that they also put in some money there. When Dempsey Racing moved to the ALMS and did P2 Racing, I think that is where the harsh realities were exposed because, A, a lot more expensive, and, B, not a lot of people wanted to pay for Dr. McDreamy's racing team to exist. And so that was shuttered faster than expected. And his return to the sport was with his name added to another team in the WEC, right? Dempsey Proton mm-hmm. Racing, but this is Proton Racing. Uh, there's no Dempsey infrastructure, crew, transport, or anything else. It's a by-name thing. And to everything I've ever understood, Graham, that bill, uh, at least on the Dempsey side, was footed by Porsche. So as I've seen things happen, big ambition, love racing, get in, start a team, put his own money in, realize, oh, that's not good. That goes away quickly when I put my money in. It, it, It goes, and it doesn't really come back. Need to find someone else to pay for it. Had some success, not enough, aligned with the manufacturer. They found some money. Then they went to a different series. Really no manufacturer alignment to be had there and got hit in the head with how expensive it was and how much people really didn't care. And that went away. And next thing we heard, he is now involved in a Porsche effort where Porsche's paying for that. So uh, that's what I've seen. Full circle for Mr. Dempsey. Uh, boy, the hey, you're that guy thing, it never seems to really work out, does it? Uh, I'll mention here in the States, Graham, we've had this in IndyCar, 
by coincidence with the Steinbrenner family that own possibly one of the world's one or two most famous properties, the New York Yankees, and the son of the recently passed Hank Steinbrenner, George Michael Steinbrenner IV, got into team ownership, co-entrant with Andretti Autosport for Colton Herta, Rolex 24 winner in GT, uh, GTLM uh, last year. And there was the expectation, oh my goodness, I mean, the Yankees, you talk about a brand name, <laughs> good Lord. Uh, we would think companies everywhere would come running to spend money to help support this racing team. And again, maybe get in some sort of good favor with the Yankees and get extra promo and super quadruple win-win. Hasn't happened at all. Hasn't happened at all. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's sad. Uh, Hank put in money to help make this happen when sponsorship didn't show up. Um, Young George's stepfather has been someone who's contributed a lot of money to keep the lights on. And it just maybe comes back to this point of if the people who have the name of the New York Yankees to offer sponsors cannot get folks to bite, just tells you, uh, you got to have a really good business reason for this. Your name is great, but folks are going to give you money because you got a cool name or you do the word talky thing on the TV. There's got to be a real business reason. Who was the soccer player, remind me, that was briefly involved with an IMSA team? Am I remembering that wrong? No idea. Really, really brief. Uh, and it, ca- it kind of came and it went. Uh, we've had all sorts. We, I mean, I can recall uh, multiple occasions on uh, what's her, Pamela Anderson involved with the Celine team, allegedly, in Europe. Just went nowhere. Um, and, you know, it's, it doesn't work. It's a straight answer. I'm terribly sorry, but ultimately it comes down to um, getting people to pay for something very expensive by using someone else's image. Very different, by the way, from those very well-known people that have been involved in team ownership properly. Um, you know, I'm thinking Ray Hall Letterman, Manigan, for starters. Um but it, that's very different uh, in terms of the engagements, et cetera, there. But, uh, yeah, I think there's, there are a variety of models of how a well-known name can be engaged in motorsport from racing yourself and funding that racing, from being used as a bit of a flag uh, to try to gather commercial strength around. Um, I think it, it works less often than it doesn't. If you see my point, go race yourself, people. Uh, <laughs> might I suggest, dear Selecta, we select a new category. Let's go. And I know you've got your finger right there. I do, but do the, you know where it is? Button. We're going to go for IMSA. Oh, wrong. I, I was all queued up to read you the Weck Asm Elms Echo, <laughs> but uh, ooh, all right. Well, hey, uh, Fire on my way. Let's go for it. Uh, let's start with Andre Good, uh, at Mr. Good Andre. 
Uh, IMSA, extending the length of races already on the calendar. If we get racing this year, any chance, you believe, MP, that IMSA will extend the length of races still on the schedule to make up for races cancelled? Those money is a factor. Hopefully this helps to get the, the sponsors more exposure. What do you say? I do not. I do not think they would alter race lengths to potentially put cars on the good old TVs and in front of fans for a longer duration. I think we might have the opposite request, or maybe not opposite. I think we might have no request for that. I think we might find that sponsors in general are wanting to limit the financial output coming out of COVID-19, knowing that every company, every company period will be facing some sort of economic issue wreckage or otherwise so i would say it might be the opposite because here's the thing teams might want it hey if we could be on track more would you pay us more of what we agreed to i still think we're going to be talking about a agreement between the series the teams and advertisers slash sponsors Let's go race as much as we can within the allotted time. But no one is really trying to write giant checks right now. What can we do that makes sure everyone is good and can survive and pay their employees without placing any extra heavy burden on those who are having to come out of pocket to pay for it? Uh, That's yet another big thing that we're going to be covering once we get an idea of when we do go back to racing more racing series than not, what state are those teams in from a funding standpoint? If sponsor X said, yes, we're going to give you 3 million for the year prior to the coronavirus, What is that number now? How many races are scheduled and does that cover everything? These are, you might say, but hey, contracts. Well, (laughs) those contracts, while still in place, those contracts were written for a time that no longer exists. Yeah. Uh, So love the idea. Trust me, I would love to hear back-to-back 24-hour races everywhere we go. That'd be amazing. Granted, I'd be asleep or not there, as I've already said, but I just don't know if pushing anything out of the expected boundaries and the announced boundaries on the revised IMSA schedule or any schedule in racing right now would be really, really smart. Love the idea. Just think it'd be really hard to justify financially. Let's go to another IMSA question. This one comes from uh, J underscore underscore J, uh, JJ, um, the J master, the J master general J. Um, what would it take to have more IndyCar and sports car doubleheader events other than the lack of a pandemic, presumably? I had a question different from this, but it's my answer to it came in for the Week in IndyCar show, and it was, do you think IndyCar would learn and or adapt their mindset to future schedules based on the accommodations and adjustments they're having to make 
in reaction to this pandemic. So we're going to go here and have a doubleheader with NASCAR again on the schedule for the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course race for IndyCar. I think it's a Saturday. The following day, it's NASCAR's Brickyard 400. Hey, IMSA and IndyCar could be together here, there again, all in this compressed schedule. Let if we're going to turn on the motor racing circuit, let's just try and do it once this year later in the year and throw a couple series in there instead of y'all showing up separately as you'd planned before. And my answer to that was, I really hope IndyCar does start thinking in that, huh, all right, we've had to fall out of our routine. We do our own thing. Uh, who cares about others? We go and it, we're just totally independent. I'm hoping the answer to this question is coming out of this, coronavirus with series having to work together having never done it before like indycar and nascar they've always been polar opposites maybe doing this once or twice in this special situation will lead them to say hey that was actually pretty cool that was good whatever the metrics were those are positive we should do this we would not have without this pandemic and we know that indycar and imsa do get together once or twice a year twice uh, which is great but could this be something where they consider doing it more after been after being somewhat forced into that? I hope so. The real answer to this is it's going to take humility from IndyCar. Not anything that IMSA would do differently. We're talking rank in popularity. NASCAR is still a very clear number one in the U.S., IndyCar would say is number two and IMSA. I don't know if they're number three, right? I don't know if drag racing or, you know, uh, motocross again, can't really say, but would say ranking wise, IMSA is definitely behind IndyCar and significantly behind IndyCar in television ratings and so on and so forth. It leads to Graham. Although I love IndyCar leads to a bit of a dickish mentality of we're the the parent here, you're the kids, meh, we might listen to you, meh, okay, you want pizza for dinner, meh, we'll think about it, maybe, maybe not. There's this very structured mindset from IndyCar that they're in charge, and if they want to do something with another series that's lower than them, meh, that's going to be their decision. IMSA, on the other hand, which doesn't think of itself as lesser, nor should they, would say the more accommodating, the more interested of the two, to say, hey, yeah, let's play, let's try. You know, if this list lifts both of us, isn't that best for both of us? I hear words from IndyCar saying that they believe that as well. I don't really hear about it behind the scenes. So my hope would be coming out of this pandemic, maybe IndyCar gets its head out of its backside a little bit and realizes that if fans are truly the number one priority, more combo IndyCar IMSA weekends would absolutely deliver on that promise to give fans the best show possible. That's my hope. Uh, Amen to that. Uh, We'll finish IMSA with... 
question from Josh Trick, which uh, knits neatly with that. Josh says the new September date for IMSA at Mid-Ohio doesn't work his schedule, so he's traded his tickets for the Indy race. Not sure when that's currently scheduled, MP. Maybe you'd, you'd know off the top of your head. July, I'm sorry, August 9th. Okay, so uh, Josh says he hasn't been to an Indy race in about two decades. How does he get the most out of his experience? What things can't he miss? There you go. That's a good question. It is. I should also mention that, as happens on about half the episodes, our cat Rocky has jumped up on the back of the chair and is trying to put his ass in my face. So, um, thank you, pal. So, Josh, I would... We've got to be, I should mention, by the way, the other regular is that sometimes we get the Husky coming in. Uh, we won't be joined by Oscar the Husky during this uh, this uh, edition of the Weekend Sports Cars, and that's principally because Trudy is cooking in the kitchen. Uh. <laughs> Therefore, he is welded <laughs> to the floor in there. Well, I do appreciate Rocky, though, because much like when Graham and I record in person and Graham puts his ass in my face, this Absolutely. is at least you know making me feel a little bit more at home. Um, I'd say this. If we're just talking the can't-miss part, uh, the races are fairly similar. The events are fairly similar. Really good turnout. You get more people for IndyCar than you do IMSA, but really good fan turnout. The fan outreach type stuff is really strong. So there's, I believe, one or more autograph sessions. A lot of things going on in similar stages uh, where you can go, you know, Firestone will have a stage. You can go hear drivers being interviewed and have fun with them. Uh, Honestly, I don't think you're going to find much that's different if you're accustomed to the access given by IMSA drivers and IMSA teams. It's pretty darn similar. Uh, I can't think of too much at the IndyCar race that's any different. Uh, Being able to get onto pit lane-ish into the paddock I don't recall if there's different options between the two. That's one of the downsides of having an annual hard card. Like, I don't have to go get a paddock pass or whatever, so I don't know if the IndyCar race say you have to pay, but MCU don't, or vice versa. But really, the the one thing I would say that you might enjoy that is different is the speeds. The IndyCar event are fearsome (laughs) Uh, getting close to turn one and watching their speed there heading down the back straight into that complex and such uh, keyhole there's just raw speeds of an indycar compared to the imsa vehicles even the dpis it's it's freaking amazing so that's the one thing i would say you might consider more than an imsa race which is touring around and seeing some of the higher speed sections of the track just for the spectacle of what is involved. No traction control, no power steering, often have losses of traction and very fast hand movements to hold on to the cars. It's, it feels like they are on the end of a string going about 200 miles an hour, and that string might get cut <laughs> at any point in time. And then they would go flying into outer space. So that's the one thing I'd say to prepare for. Um, well, I think it's time for your finger to be waving over what? the jingle button. And with thanks to Andrew Backer again for the fine 
uh, well, jingleness that uh, he's provided us for uh, two or three of our is he, sections on the weekend. Does that make him a jingolo? Uh, just a jingolo, yes. Yes. Um, and it's time for Weck, Aslam's Elms and Echo. <laughs> Oh, I love it. You know why? Because it means I get to say the words to you, and then you get to <laughs> use your flappy mouth device to give answers. We're going to possibly the finest racing team in the world. This is sent in by Miggins Motorsport. Yay. Keep in mind, and I do love the deliberate name, Motorsport, just a single one. Not multiple, not plural. Just the one. Haven't really defined what exact motorsport Miggins participates in. But again, that's why we do this each week. We learn more, it gets parsed out. Says disciplinary, I think. I've been disappointed with some of the negativity around the current state of LMP2 being a spec category, Graham. For me, Miggins Motorsport, we, uh, we have a stop and hold plus 60 for you here. He said, for me, he did not use the official hashtag of no. the Marshall Pro Podcast, hashtag Rookie me era. personally. For ha- but I'll insert it. That'll just cut it down to a 30-second stop and hold. For hashtag me personally, it has been the saving grace of the WEC, the Elms, and the IMSA. What do you both think? But you don't need my thoughts. You need Graham's. I think the answer here is I, I tend to agree with you. I'm not negative about LMP2 at all. I think it's been fantastic, but it gets it's better the more you've got of those six horsepower Gibson powered beasts. IMSA signs of recovery of that uh, category for them, but let's put that to one side for the moment. WC has got sufficient numbers. ELMS is just plain bonkers. That's basically. It's a bit an LMS race in LMP2. If you've not watched one, I'll, I'll try and explain it. Imagine you go to the local roughhouse bar, okay? And the local roughhouse bar, one big guy and another big guy start that thing at the bar. You're looking at me. Don't look at my girlfriend. You spilt my my beer, etc., etc. A little bit of pushing, and then it develops into a mass brawl, okay? It's a bit like that in LMP2 in the LMS because there's enough depth of competition uh, that you can get two, four, six, nine, eleven cars involved. And I sincerely hope we get the opportunity to see that again uh, this season with the European Le Mans series getting getting going again. Uh, I share some of the frustrations out there that the um, the powers that be did not take the opportunity I believe they should have done. Um, with the Joker process to uh, level the playing field a little more than they did, no doubt in my mind, I you know I've massive admiration for Hugh de Schonach and the Oracle organisation, but they were dealt by regulation a real advantage uh, with the, um, the new LMP2 regulations in 2017, simply because they could carry over the chassis of their existing car. Everybody else uh, did it from scratch. The Orica 05, you could amend that chassis, you could update that chassis to be relevant, which meant a lot of the lessons they'd learned in developing that chassis were carried over as well. So it gave a big boost to the Orica product, and we see the outturn of that. Delara, 
made a fundamental error with their frontal aerodynamics and that was not something they were able to fix with their joker uh Ligier, to a lesser extent the aero their bigger problem i think has been the gearbox that's been a real weak point of that car um that that uh, combination just hasn't worked but we've got an opportunity in 2023 if they uh, carry on with the timeline that we're currently expecting to fix that i know we've got a question a bit further down about their choice of chassis manufacturers for that but no you're right whether or not it's a battle between 10 cars of varying makes whether or not it's a battle between five or six cars as we saw in the asia le mans series with three different makes of car uh, the delara the ligier and the orica all putting in good performances over in asia um, where, by the way, there's less data on some of those tracks, which is one of the reasons why uh, there's a bit more of a level playing field as well. Uh, but, you know, even frankly, if it's half a dozen or more Oricas going head-to-head, somehow the combination of how good those cars are, how well they race, and the Pro-Am format really does deliver. And I agree with you, Megan's Motorsport. I think they've been superb viewing. Yeah, I agree, too. You know why? Because you're, like, good at that word talking and stuff and <laughs> saying answers to, like, questions. So I agree with you, and I'd like to give you a little mid-show. It's quicker. It's yeah, quicker. it is. We're going to go with, now this one's a little wacky tabacky. It's almost linked into the first grand question we opened with. This comes from Matt Hockey Hawkins 96 So with the Belgian authorities banning large gatherings in September... Where does the WEC stand, Graham, in replacing Spa? Also, where do the ACO stand for Lamal? Potential for it to get canceled altogether? Well, we know there's a certain Russian-backed website that answers the last two there, but Belgian authorities. So on the surface, sounds like there's no way it could happen, right? Well, yes, no. So here's the two or three things behind this. I think the moment it's uh, mass gatherings till the end of August as things stand today, okay? But here's the problem. They've not defined what that means. So um, correctly, I believe at the moment, the WC are keeping their uh, options open. They're not basically jumping too quickly. Things can change. Um, And when you've got a limited number of options, you'd be sensible to keep as many of those options open as long as you possibly can. It's not like people are packing trucks right now to go to Belgium. Um, you can afford to just wait a little while. Uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, as long as if what they're doing in the background, he says with this sure and certain knowledge that they're not, but they need to be, is communicating as openly as they can about their thought process, not to you and me, MP, because we don't need to know, not to our listeners, because with absolute respect, as we stand here in April, you don't need to know yet whether or not you're going to be going and watching a race in August in uh, Belgium or not. But the teams do need to know sooner than we do so that they can actually get the finances, the logistics, all of that in place. That They've got the opportunity to take that opportunity should it arise. So the key to it, as far as I'm concerned, is the internal communication between race organiser and their customers. And the customers I'm talking about here are the teams that make this happen. That, to my mind, is the key. So uh, as far as WEC is concerned at Spa, what do I think? 
I think that's going to be a date that's potentially in quite serious trouble. We'll have to wait and see how things actually emerge. But the communication at the moment from the Belgian authorities has not been comprehensive. They've not yet defined what a mass, mass gathering might be. We've not, therefore, got to the point where you can make a call about yes, no to an event, yes, no to whether or not that event will be open to the public. As far as Le Mans is concerned, that's pretty quickly after the end of August, of course. There's all sorts of things to bring into the mix, not least of which, I think, as we said last week's show, uh, that the Tour de France has now been rescheduled to finish on the Sunday, the same Sunday that Le Mans does. Uh, that's without us even taking a taster of what the other major uh, spectator, spectator sports will be trying to do. And remember, everybody at the moment, by the look of things, is going to be trying to squeeze into let's call it three three and a half months at the moment what would normally be squeezed into eight the reality at some point is something's going to go pop you're not going to be able to do all of that uh, do i think the le mans 24 hours is in trouble i'm not ready to call it yet but my guess would be the percentage uh, likelihood of it's happening in any way shape or form um, in the manner that we're used to having that race happen with a very large uh, turnout of spectators from around the world, uh, gathering in very large quantities in very uh, in large numbers of parts of the countryside around that circuit, uh, that that is beginning to start to ebb away, and they're beginning to get to the stage where we're not into Plan B, but Plan C and Plan D. It's not calling it. It's not saying that's going to happen, but it's not saying either that you should guarantee right now that the plan B that we've already been dealt, which are the schedules that sit in front of us right now, are the way it's going to finish at the end of this. This is not an, a, a global event where we have the answer to when this will finish yet. It's going to be about uh, just what the appetite is for risk. Remember, that is what we're talking about here. It's the appetite for risk. It's whether you, me, our friends, our families, the guy down the road that's got the uh, the, the VW camper van he brings out every year painted in golf colours, whether or not uh, the guy that always takes his two sons and their mates, Nigel, from down the road in their classic car, whether or not the form friends that come across the United States and have their uh, annual trip, whether or not they're going to be comfortable about doing that in September. That's going to define what the event looks like whenever that event happens. Would I be surprised if the event looked very different, it will absolutely look different if we get to see it this year. No one's calling it yet. Anybody that is calling it yet that doesn't have the title President of France or President of the ACO behind their names is guessing, OK? And the President of the ACO is waiting for what the President of France tells him he can do before he makes that decision. So that's my advice to you right now is sit tight, we are going to have to be patient here like never before. And also, I'll say again what I said last week, be kind with your opinions of the weight. This is not easy for anybody at all. And it's our sport. It's my business. It's your business, um, uh, MP as well. And it's their business as well. They cannot afford to get this wrong on so very many levels. This is going to be the most difficult decision that most of these motorsports organisers, administrators will ever have to make, will ever have to make. Be kind right now. It's really important that we make sure 
that we're on the side of the angels in the right corner with the debates and the discussions that are going forward right now. Yes, we can ask them to communicate better. I think we should. But they don't at the moment have anything useful that they can tell you that you don't already know. The thing I'm happiest to learn right here, if I add president of ACO behind my name or president of France, I can tell a lot of people what to do right now. This is a phenomenal development. (laughs) <laughs> I feel so, so empowered. Cool. Marshall Pro, well, president way, of France the and the ACO. There was one other thing I was going to mention about Pierre Fion. Um, I, I have the privilege to be able to talk to Pierre on a fairly regular basis. We are not friends. We are professional acquaintances, but we have friendly discussion. I'll repeat again. Pierre is professionally a doctor, still practices as a doctor in a local Le Mans hospital. That's what he does for a living. The other thing about Pierre is he comes from a family which does give him an understanding and insight into this. His brother, who, by the way, is another massive petrol head, was the prime minister of France, stood for president of France, a political animal, if you like. So the discussion, the discourse within that family is going to be pretty well informed about where things are right now. You can have probably no better person right now to be in a position to make informed decisions about what's what here. And I I just think we've just got to give these guys the space to make smart decisions. Um, They've got quite enough pressure right now without the kind of nonsense that I've read um, on the internet and elsewhere about the quality decision-making that is being made at the moment. Just give them space, let them breathe, let them make the decisions that are going to be important for where this sport goes, not this year, but in future years. Leave the uninformed decisions to the rest of us. We've got that handled, okay? <laughs> I've got, a, I've yes. got nailed right All now. All right. Nailed. We've got two more for you, mate, in Weck, Asm, Elms, Aco. They might kind of sort of run together. First one, Kevin Payne. Hey, Kev, who says, question from previous weeks. Do you think now is a good opportunity for genetic, genetic cars to be considered as the next gen LMP2 or LMDH chassis manufacturer? And also Gregorz Piotrowicz, who I think I hopefully didn't murder your name. Uh, I think you too just badly. killed it, stamped oh, on it, and set fire to it. I think Gregorz might actually start pronouncing it the way I said it. Uh, says, why was Riley chosen? As a chassis manufacturer for 2022 uh, LMP2 rules slash LMDH rules instead of Janetta. And I'll just throw okay. in there quickly, Gregor's, that it's actually not Riley. Uh, it's their former partners, Multimatic. So, yeah. Okay. So the answer, uh, to, I'll answer the second one first, if you don't, don't mind. And that, the answer to that is very simple. No doubt in my mind whatsoever that uh, the Multimatic part came as part of the deal with IMSA. Uh, because Multimatic, of course, are the chassis partner for the Mazda DPI program. And I have zero doubts that both um, Mazda and Delara came as part of the package for convergence because, of course, Delara, with their link with the GM, the Cadillac uh, DPI program, they would have been very important boxes to tick for IMSA to give the best news they possibly could to encourage two of their three current factory DPI teams to stay uh, in the family for when LMDH comes by. And I'm going to check in with you, MP, that that is not faulty logic before I move on. 
I think we're good there. But I also good. was daydreaming a little bit. Um, so I might have missed some of the salient things no, that you said. That's fine. But that, but that, that's, that's the answer there, Gregor. That, that's why I believe that uh, the Multimatic uh, Mark 30 chassis is, is in the room for that. As for Ginetta, there's never been a better moment to change your mind than when you've got an industry potentially in real trouble, is there? And if you've actually got uh, an angry Yorkshireman banging the door down, then it might be a good idea to invite him in for a cup of Yorkshire tea, have that conversation and see whether or not there's a way forward with it. Um, we've got another story doing the rounds today, which, by the way, we haven't referred to yet, but I'll do it now. Um, Ferrari uh, talking, and I gather, believing they've been misreported in a UK national newspaper this morning about uh, threats to pull out of Formula One if the cost uh, capping process for Formula One is too stringent. And then statements issued to the Formula One press pack uh, in quick order after that story broke to say that's not what we meant. And what we actually were saying is that there's every chance that if um, the cost cap is, you know, heavier than we hope it's going to be, that we will divert some of those resources uh, for a parallel program, either in IndyCar or the WEC. Uh, So, uh, but what we know about Ferrari are two things. One is, my God, they pontificate and talk about doing all sorts of things that they never, ever do. But the second thing is that their their discussion, let's put it that way, strong arming might be another way of putting it, about uh, LMDH has f- focused around wanting to be able to, depending on who you believe in this, either a bespoke chassis and not a spec chassis that would then find its way on to be, being an LMP2, or a chassis they could call a Ferrari, which is something rather different, potentially. Um, they are in the room for uh, the technical working groups for both GT and LMP racing, have been for quite some time. And even if they don't go to all the meetings, they're certainly uh, made, they're made aware of what those discussions have been about. They have shown interest on more than one occasion in a variety of um yeah, matters LMP-wise. They certainly were party to the discussions about hypercar and are no longer interested in that sort of things. So fingers crossed that comes. But as far as Janetta are concerned, um, I just hope they're being listened to. You know, I know a little bit more than I can really say in terms of their preparedness to do this. Um, there will be a future Sports Cars That Never Race article on Daily Sports Car about their proposal for the 2017 formula where they lost out, I think in that instance, um, to Delara being the fourth pick uh, rather than Ginetta. And I'm not quite sure what it is they have to do to get over the line with a piece in the jigsaw that might keep, you know, a, a manufacturer in ACO rules racing that otherwise might fade away. I, I just don't think at the moment with the state of the world economy that it's going to be in, if you've got someone banging the door down saying, we want to do this, you know what, guys? Let them damn well do it. Because I'm not absolutely certain that you can have everybody in the room um, when the, you know, the the roundabout stops this time that you thought you'd got at the start of this debate. So, yes, by the way, uh, Kevin, I do think this is the ideal time to consider again whether or not they've got that entirely right. I don't see what you lose by having a fifth organisation in the room other than potentially one fewer opportunity for one of the other manufacturers to net uh, an OEM. 
Let me ask the dumbest question of the episode, and I know that's a pretty high bar to meet. Where shall we go for our last category, Graham? I think we should go for, it's the word that the Beach Boys, I think, have, uh, have made famous, fun. Oh, I thought you meant lame. Um, <laughs> yes, seeing as how it's the only one left, I wasn't sure where you wanted to go, but I, I figured I'd still axe. Anyways, uh, why don't you take this one to start? Uh, start with Jeff Easterling. Um, fun. So Le Mans Centenary Race in 2023. Five fully supported factory programs are gracing the grid, vying for that extra special victory. In your respective dream scenarios, who are those five marks? His are Porsche, Ferrari, Toyota, Jaguar, and um, Peugeot. So, in other words, clearly they're looking for existing makes that have had success in the race before. You want a first crack at that one? No, I want you to take that one. Well, I mean, I think Porsche and Ferrari are... You almost can't have a sports car race without them. Aston Martin, I think, have earned that place um, in recent years. I'm edging towards kind of GM. Yeah, I'd love to see them doing something at the front end as well as Ford, two of the most significant... Uh, makes in the world in terms of road cars and and that vein you can't really get away from Toyota I think Jaguar have in a Viking longboat manner raped and pillaged their heritage (laughs) to the extent where I've I've just decided I don't care anymore which is a damn shame because I always used to Um, who would I love to see come and do that I'd love to see Mazda come back and do something a little bit left field in the way that they uh, that they were famous for doing so in the 90s and with success. And I think the way they've embraced the DPI formula is inspiring. I think it's made that um, that uh, that's uh, it's made that otherwise pretty spec category pretty special. Uh, I, I love coming and seeing the Mazda's race because they are properly styled prototypes, which I think, um, you know, what John Doonan and the team behind that program did, I think, uh, made a fundamental difference the way that DPI is actually seen. Um, what else? I'd, I'd like to see something kind of a bit. It's a bit like the panels thing. You know, when panels came to Le Mans, it was a bit offbeat, a bit alternative and something you could kind of get behind as being the underdog. And I do wonder whether or not Jim Glickenhouse might be that, that kind of force, something like Jim Glickenhouse, something like Koenigsegg, something like that. The kind of the panos, the TVR. It's what you and I have talked about in various veins, uh, MP over the, the months and months we've been doing this show. We've sort of lost that with this kind of spec homologated thing that motorsports become. I want to get behind the underdog and the big makes. I love having the big makes there. And um, we're lucky enough to have most of the ones that matter somewhere in GT and sports car racing. But I want someone to come and stir it up a bit. And the, the guy that's out there right now that is putting money where mouthy bits is, is Jim Glickenhaus. I'd love to see him taking on the big factories in the way that he's done that at the Nürburgring, 
uh, I think around Le Mans, he could find himself a very popular man if that beautiful hypercar that we've seen the renders of um, turns out to be something to, um, you know, that can go out there and do battle over 24 hours around that fantastic circuit. So four big factories, that would do me. Frankly, I'd like there to be eight or even ten. And then one outlier, just one, comes out with a couple of cars that just look beautiful, go super fast, and mix it up a little bit. Because there's one thing I love at a major motor race, whether it's sports car racing or anywhere else, it's disappointed people from factories because somebody has stolen part of their train set. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll throw in some alternates of Mercedes-Benz. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'll throw in, and I mean a full works, not a customer car. I mean a full works program from McLaren. I think yes. that would be, I think those two would be dynamic additions. I think they could be a good outlier, you know. I think they really could because they're not a big company, remember. They're a very capable company, but not a big company. But I think they could be a company with heritage. I think they could be a good outlier, something that people will get behind because the heritage means something to people. I'll go – I'll throw another one here, and I I don't think it technically qualifies as a mark, but they kind of sort of did. WM. Because I saw that uh, Jeff mentioned Peugeot. I'd say a WM Peugeot run at the top speed record in the chicane era. I mean, come on, right? Let's do it. Uh, Let's get that. I'm going to give you a bit of information here. Depending on when this edition of the Weekend Sports Cars goes online, we will have on Daily Sports Car a story that we will not, of course, see Gerard Velter back at Le Mans because, uh, of course, he passed away just a couple of years ago. It does make that hard. It adds it to the complications. However, elements of one of his programs are still alive, and there is a prospect of a program coming together to take some of those elements back to Le Mans, and we will have news of that on Daily Sports Car. Uh, where are we now? At the moment, time for Friday morning. So we will be putting something uh, live um, Friday morning about some elements of that program uh, being brought back and put in front of the ACO with a bid for a place on the grid at the Le Mans 24 hours. So I hope that's the case. And you're right. I mean, uh, my first year, the 1995 uh, Le Mans 24 hours, not WM, but WR at that stage, and they locked out the front row of the grid. Um, they weren't there very long, but uh, they locked out the front row of the grid. And I, I, I just love an underdog. I love an outlier. I love someone who just sees the rule book and says, there's a hole we can use. And uh, Gerald Velter, um, you know, was uh, was the man that did that and did it in a very French way. And I loved it. Okay, so we're going to grab a couple of quick items and then say farewell. Daniel Summersgill, you sent in one here for fun. Please send that back in if you want. Ryan Terpstra, you say, is the show Soapbox sponsor aware of the Hammer and Pour Empire he is running? I don't think so. And we're trying not to tempt fate because uh, uh, <laughs> he might know people. Uh, let's see. Rob Chalmers, when during his career did Tracy Crone become a verb? The answer to that is yes. Uh, Racer Spacer <laughs> says in a Twitter Q&A with Dinner with Racers, Dorsey Schroeder. 
uh, shared more of his colorful stories about his life off the track. What can you tell us about Dorsey as a driver that we might not know? I could tell you he was a driver. You might not know that. Yes. Well, beyond the excellence that he demonstrated in series like Trans Am and IMSA GTO and such, and even later doing some prototype uh, driving and whatnot, would hi rocky thanks again your ass placement is fine uh here's the thing you might not know about dorsey he was juan pablo montoya's driving instructor when jpm's father took him to the good old america for the very first time i believe it was at the skip barber school dorsey was his very first coach learning him as a teenage boy and we know this because dorsey takes full credit for everything uh, good old it is what it is has achieved throughout his career. Um, Ryan Ryan Terpstra says, as I struggled to says his name, I miss Shea Adams' fun questions. I do, too. I really do. I fear that the the battle lines that were drawn might have led to her no longer contributing. I don't honestly know, though. But I agree with you, Ryan. Shay is just a mighty fine human being, and we are very thankful for her contributions to fun for what was at least a year. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to take one more, and as we always say, if we don't get to your questions and you want one of the two idiots here to answer them, please send them back in. We do have a lot that were sent in for fun, and I'm not totally sure... Uh, We're going to get to even any and all. Um, How about this? Okay. (laughs) I'm just weighing how much jeopardy I want to put my life in here. Uh, No, we're going to move on from that. All right. We're going (laughs) to, we're going to close with our pal, Jacob Bame. He says, what is a meal you love Graham, but haven't eaten for a while now? And conversely, what are you eating regularly that you wish you didn't? But you just can't help yourself. A meal I've not had. Well, it tends to. Well, let's keep it motorsport focused. Okay. Um, It's not a meal I've not had lately, but it's a meal in a place I've not been to lately. And that would be when we go to the Nürburgring. uh, Our good pal Zoran Hervag, known to one and all in the DSC collective as Zorro, because why wouldn't you? um, Takes us to. Uh, Adnauer, and we toddle on there and regularly have to queue uh, to get into a restaurant called Pinocchio's. And Pinocchio's serves pizza. It may not be the best pizza in the world. It's not bad, but it's not the best pizza in the world. What it is, is the biggest pizza in the world. And when I say big, I mean big. So the we regularly have to sit out on the pavement. How many liters of displacement would we say? A five-liter pizza, uh, <sighs> 10-liter V8, V10, V12? Give, give us engine this, comparisons. Uh, the, the best thing... Hmm, let me have a think about this one. You remember that Eagle prototype that went to uh, Le Mans and did terribly badly? 10 liters, yes. Something like that. It was that. the X-Corvette so GTP Lola, yes. There you go. To give you an idea of how big these pizzas are, so quite regularly I have to go and set my table out on the pavement at that now, and it's not a particularly wide pavement, um, but there's little room for people to pass when that table is out there. And the pizzas fill the table 
the whole table. We're not talking pizzas on a plate. We're talking pizzas that are table wide. Um, it is, I think, physically impossible to fit to finish one. I think physically impossible to finish one. There is simply not space in most human bodies to fit those pizzas. The, the thing about that meal is it's always joyful. Uh, going to race at the Nürburgring, always joyful. Uh, a road trip with the DSC crew is my happy place, without a shadow of a doubt. I wish we could do more of them. As for food that I wished I didn't eat as much of at the moment, it's uh, biscuits. Uh, I don't mean biscuits in the wrongly uh, seasoned and named scone uh, in the American. Biscuits means in your parlance cookies. Again, incorrect. Cookie, of course, is a biscuit with chocolate chips in it, um, whereas a biscuit is any kind of sweetened uh, baked product uh, in a kind of crunchy sort Don't of way. Don't you try and limit my freedom for calling fine confectionery whatever to, I want. I'll, I'll tell you what, as, when, you're, when your government tells you you can go back to, to actually uh, calling them biscuits, you feel good and ready to do that, mate, but uh, but not right now. I'm going to go have but, some um, freedom fries in spite of you and Belgians. <laughs> At the moment, it's got to be said that, how can I put this, the snackage is taking over the asylum. Um, and uh, my daughter spotted something she, she'd not realized um, for the many, many weeks that now she's been cooped up inside when she spotted me um, popping to, we have, uh, I don't know if I, I, I want to, uh, does the word sideboard mean anything to you, MP? No. Large, large piece, piece of furniture you keep crockery in. Okay, we have a big oak sideboard in my living room, which is locked. Uh, for various reasons it's where we keep some of the booze so we keep that away from uh, teenage hands uh, but it's also where we've got our stash of uh, chocolate biscuits and uh, she spotted this the other night first time she spotted that hadn't realized that actually we do keep chocolate biscuits there because uh, what can i say about my gorgeous young lady our 16 year old um, the apple of my eye but an absolute right royal pain in the ass um, but she does have a habit of grabbing entire family packs of biscuits that then disappear into the lair, uh, the pit of hell that is her bedroom, uh, and we never see them again. So I do tend to kind of secrete uh, the biscuit stock uh, under lock and key. But unfortunately, I'm afraid my eye and the key is drawn to that stock too often of late. And it's going to get to the stage by the time we do go racing where, to be blunt, my trousers don't fit. You secrete biscuits. That's the only thing I heard here. That is the most disgusting thing. I don't need that kind of visual. This is a family show, even though it's not. Uh, I don't even know how to answer this uh, with anything that's better than that. Uh, Jacob, let's see. Thing that I haven't eaten for a while now. Well, having a feeling that things are going to get shut down. I went to my favorite local burrito shop. And my wife and I were driving home from one of our appointments, and I said, I have a feeling we're not going to be able to do this for a while. And they don't deliver. So I went in and ordered, I think, three or four of my favorite burritos, thinking that they would be items to put into the freezer, uh, as I probably wouldn't see this place for a couple of months. And I've had to ration them out, but I'm also mildly afraid to have one because who knows if this is going to get extended. I know these are very serious problems. Uh, so uh, burritos are something that I enjoy 
And while I could order them and have them from any places, if not make them at home, they're not as good as my favorite place. So that's something where there's a little bit of a lack there. Eating regularly that I wish I didn't. (sighs) Cheez-It snack mix. Um, Mm. Yeah. So I told my wife, this is what normally happens. I tell my wife that I like something. And she's amazing. She's in charge of ordering uh, food and or making grocery lists or whatever it is. And so I've just, I've learned, Graham, that I have to be very intentional in describing things. Because if I just say I like something and leave it at that, don't add some sort of qualifier to it, if not downplay it, the next time we get something, it's going to be the size of a freaking house. So I mentioned that I happened to like this cheese it snack mix, which I'd never really tried before, but she bought some and I tried it. Next thing I, at least the little crackers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a mix. So there's little pretzels in there and you know, whatever. So they come in a normal size box, nothing major. I find out the next time uh, when it's grocery time, I find out that apparently they make a 40-ounce bag of them. Wow. Oh, oh, yes, but no, not just one bag, three. (laughs) What are they doing? (laughs) And again, lover, and that's just her, right? Oh, he said he likes something. Well, you know, want to make sure that he can enjoy it. And it's, I look at it. It's the equivalent of Cheez-It snack mix hoarding. It would take me a year to uh, to eat that amount, and I was actively trying to consume some to free up some space in one of the cupboards. And then I just said, "All right, I That's quit." All the excuse. I That's quit. All the excuse. No, I truly was trying to make space, and uh, I just said I quit. And I can't stand the taste of many more. So we've kind of <laughs> got a lot of this stuff. That's uh, uh, I could couldn't imagine touching it again. So there we go. This is a very serious close to the Weekend Sports Cars on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Graham, why don't you take us the rest of the way home, my friend, and also tell us if there's any other good stuff coming to the daily of the sports of the dot to the com. Uh, plenty, and we remain with uh, Stephen Kilby and I's hashtag Project Positivity. There'll be a hashtag Lockdown Challenge, so stories and uh, features that have been written by you the readers and the listeners oh, indeed. Thank God. I thought you were just telling me Absolutely. I had to go start writing stuff. I'm like, no, come no, no, on, no, man. more of those. Okay. Some real fun and games from some personalities around motorsport with some of the feature content that's coming. A little bit of news here and there as well. But for now, it is a matter, like we say, your part in this bargain. We speak the words, we write the words, you read the words, you listen to the words, you sit your asses down, you watch Netflix. Please be safe. Please Look after yourselves, look after your families, listen to the advice you get from the sensible people out there and not the nut jobs. Um, and let's just ride this one out for now. Again, with thanks to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, to Bell Helmets USA, and to Toronto Motorsports. I've been Graham Goodwin. He's been uh, Marshall Pruitt. That's been Rocky's ass. This has been the Week in Sports Cars. We will speak to you very soon. And just don't forget, Graham secretes cookies. (laughs) 